0: What an incredible privilege and honor to be with you tonight uh, at Zion Church. What an incredible opportunity. I've I've been so blessed uh, to get to know you, Pastor, and to uh, for my team at Salem Church to be able to host your preview services this summer. It's our privilege. I was reading recently something that encapsulated what my heart has been for our city for the last several years. I've never heard anybody say it any better, but Jeff Christofferson in his book about the kingdom of God being first, he said, look, if you love the harvest, you will love other harvesters if you love the harvest, you will love other harvesters. You won't be competitive with other harvesters. You won't be offended by other harvesters. You won't feel the need to correct other harvesters. You will love the harvest and love other harvesters. And that's what Salem Church believes with all of our heart about Zion Church. And we are so excited to be co-laborers together with you in the harvest field that is Staten Island and in New York City. So thank you for what you do and for who you are. Uh, my church is Salem Church is about 120 years old. And uh, uh, and we gave birth to our first church plant about two years ago. So we existed for one hundred and eighteen years before we finally gave birth. We were pregnant a long, 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 long time. And I want you to know it blesses me to to know that a church of your age uh, is already multiplying. What an incredible gift of God and what an incredible uh, faith that you have. Um, to uh, undertake these things and to be ready to multiply, even as as you yourself are are relatively new in church age. And I'm I'm excited about Salem's next child and the one after that and the one after that. And so you pray for us and we'll pray for you. We believe that the harvest field of New York City and specifically Staten Island uh, does not need a good church or a handful of good churches. We need thousands of good churches to reach the people that exist on that island. And I'm so thrilled to be co-laboring together with you. Uh, I'm so blessed to know your pastor and, and have such admiration for his work and and um, I first met uh, pastor Justin at the uh, pray march act uh, a journey um, last year last spring we marched together uh, through Brooklyn calling on God for righteousness and justice and peace in our nation and it was a privilege to stand with him there at that point and it's a privilege to stand with you here today I want to bring you a message out of the New Testament in the book of first Peter excuse me 2 Peter chapter 3 so if you have a Bible on your phone or you have a Bible in your hand. Uh, either way, join me in the book of Second Peter chapter three. And I'm looking forward to opening God's word with you this this evening. At Salem Church, we are in a series entitled Marks of a Disciple because we remember that Jesus, the last thing he told his disciples before he ascended to the Father in Matthew chapter 28 was to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And we believe that command was literal. It was something Jesus was giving us a responsibility to do. And it did not just apply to those that were uh, there in the beginning, uh, those first disciples, it also applies to those of us that are disciples of Jesus even today. We looked deeper into the word to discover that the names we give ourselves today are not really the names that the Bible gives us. When people ask us what religion are you or "What, what do you practice, we normally say something like I'm a Christian or I'm a believer, when in fact the word Christian only appears three times in your New Testament to describe followers of Jesus, but yet that's the name we've taken for ourselves. In fact, the most common term to describe someone who follows Jesus, someone who has been saved, is the term disciple. 269 times the word disciple shows up in the New Testament to describe those that would follow Jesus. So you may be a Christian, a believer, a follower of Jesus, and that's all fine, but the biblical term for you and for me is a disciple. When I I speak at Salem, I like to to ask them to join me in affirming some things as we study the word together, and I'm going to ask you to do the same. Uh, If you are a, a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you're saved, I want you to repeat after me, okay? Can we do this together? Ready? I am am a disciple disciple of of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. That's what the Bible calls you. So a Christian follower, believer, all fine, but the biblical term most synonymous with us is the word disciple. But what is that? What does it look like? And I believe the Bible gives us seven distinct marks of a disciple of Jesus Christ, seven things that mark us as disciples of Jesus Christ. I began first week talking about faith, and then the second week is the message I'm gonna bring to you just now, which is on the topic of growth. We're asking the question, Lord, what, what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it look like? Does it look like a certain type of morality? Does it look like a, a certain type of routine? Does it look like a generosity? Does it look like a, a certain Christian fish symbol on our car or a T-shirt uh, around that we wear on our bodies or a cross that's around of our neck? What are the marks of a biblical disciple? One thing that's very clear when you use the term disciple is that it's very understandable that it's not just a moment of conversion, but a disciple speaks to a moment of conversion followed by a lifetime journey with Jesus. When you get saved, when you become forgiven of your sins and become a follower of Jesus Christ, that discipleship journey is just beginning. It is not ending. So let's hear what the apostle Peter has to say to disciples of Jesus Christ like me and like you. So let's take a look at verses 17 and 18 from 2 Peter. He writes this, "'You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, Take care that you're not carried away with error and lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your, for your holy and arid inspired word. Thank you for the privilege we have to open it this evening, and I pray, God, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, that we may become more like Jesus, whom we follow as his disciples. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. I'm gonna give you two observations from this text that I hope will, will clarify somewhat of what a disciple is for you in your own life. The first is that we look at this topic of growth and we see it explained. Verse 17 begins to explain what this growth looks like. The apostle Peter wrote two letters to the same group of people. In 1 Peter he wrote to them about the persecution they were facing on the outside. Many of you know as you study the New Testament that the the disciples that received Peter's letter were were suffering under the weight of persecution that was more severe and more fierce than any before them. They were suffering under Emperor Nero and Babylon and it was a, it was a disastrous situation for those early disciples. Not only that, the Jewish leadership was was pursuing them at every opportunity to try to stamp out this movement called the way, those that followed Jesus those those disciples of Jesus. And the first letter that Peter wrote to these disciples was stand strong in the midst of the outside persecution. But it wasn't long after that letter was written, that letter was sent, and that letter was read, that Peter realized he missed a very important topic that he then addressed in his second letter. The second letter wasn't so much about the persecution from the outside, the second letter Peter wrote to his disciples of Jesus that were, that were in his circle was, I need to speak to you about division and difficulty in the body. And you know that we have both even today. We have pressure from the outside and we have difficulty from the inside. And what Peter is explaining to us is that the most important factor that could exist within the body of believers at this time was the concept of growth. The reason being is that false teachers had made their way into the church and they were leading people astray. They were causing people to question the doctrine they'd received from the apostles, causing people to question whether or not they really wanted to be a part of this movement of disciples of Jesus. And so remaining spiritually immature for these believers would have been devastating to their own faith, but also devastating to their community of faith in their church. See, Peter explains in verse 17 the opposite of what growth is. The opposite of growth. What is the opposite of growth? Well, he says it there. He says, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So what are the factors of of a lack of growth? One is that you're easily deceived by others. Whenever we don't mature as followers of Jesus, we become easy prey for false teachers and false ideologies and doctrine. We become easy prey for it. We read a book, we hear a podcast. All of a sudden, we're being led astray into some direction that is not what God has given to us through our local church and our our leaders. We're also regularly nervous and fearful. I don't know about you guys, but in my, in my church at, at Staten Island, there's a lot of people fearful and nervous about the cultural winds that are blowing right now, nervous about things related to vaccines and mandates and all kinds of things. I, I'm sure that's not the case here at all. But over on Staten Island, there's some people freaking out about that right now. And uh, And so the challenge I have for them is not do this or do that or listen to this or listen to that. The challenge I have for my people is this. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and root yourself in him and then he will provide you what you need to, to weather the challenging storms around you. But as a, a follower of Jesus, we grow in grace. That means that we have the opportunity to not be driven back and forth by winds and waves of the cultural, uh, the cultural moments we're in. Not only that, we're tossed around by various ideologies. See, when we when we stay immature as followers of Jesus, we, we stay immature as disciples, we're not growing in grace and knowledge what happens is we become easy prey for false teachers, cultural moments, and we find ourselves completely driven by whatever comes across our face at the time. I learned this lesson in kind of a funny way a few months ago. I came back uh, from a trip, and my family had discovered a card game they wanted me to play. I don't know about you, but my family, we like, we like to play board games and card games. It's, it's just kind of what we do at our house. And they wanted to play this new card game called Dutch Blitz. Has anybody played Dutch Blitz before? Anybody? No? It's a, it's a real fast-paced game where a lot of people are placing colors and, and numbers down on the table, and it's, it's intense, and it happens so fast. And when I first learned the game, my dear sweet wife, who happens to be here with me tonight, Ashley, uh, she actually kind of gave me a, a little bit of a, of, a, of a different version of the rules than turned out to be accurate. Can we just say it that way? Is that fair? It was she was she had gotten bad information from someone else, and she described the game as a version of solitaire. And I know how to play solitaire, so I was playing the wrong game essentially. Now, now the game is, is is basically this: the goal of the game is to get rid of all the cards in your stack as quickly as possible. And for all the cards you get rid of, you get a point. For all the cards you still have when the game is over, you deduct points. You follow me? You see what I'm saying? So that's the whole goal. My first few rounds, you start with 13 cards. Okay, my first few rounds, someone would go out and yell blitz and I still had 13 cards like they've gotten rid of all their cards I still had all my cards there was one time I had 16 I don't even know that's possible how I got more cards than I started with and I was awful I was awful at this game it was bad but then what happened I kept playing more started learning more Realized what I needed to focus on. Not on this stack, but on that stack. Not on this, this, this arrangement, that arrangement. I learned, I learned the rules, the way they were supposed to be played. And okay. over the course of time, I finally got to where I could, I could win a few hands and I could actually do well because I knew what to focus on and I knew how to keep myself from being distracted by everything that came across my face. Many of us are still following Jesus like a rookie. We have not become grounded in the Lord we have not allowed ourselves to mature in Christ. We haven't been seeing the fruit of establishing ourselves rooted and built up in Jesus Christ. And so everything that comes across our face is a distraction and we run after it. And We run after it. And we, run after it and we run after it. And we find ourselves completely enraptured by whatever, whatever presents itself. And in so doing, we are so very unstable. I don't know if that sounds like you. It sounds like me sometimes. I don't know if it sounds like you as well. Another apostle, the apostle Paul, was talking to the ministers and pastors in Ephesus, and he was telling them that this is one of their primary responsibilities. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers for what? He gave them to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I love this passage because it tells us that it's not the pastor's job to do the ministry. It tells us that Pastor Justin and Pastor Johnny and the others that are part of your ministry here, they are not the, the primary carrying out individuals for the ministry, you are. You're, you're the saints, you're the, the body, you're the believers, you're the disciples, you are the ones, and their job, our job, is to help equip you for the ministry. I say it this way, that when God called me to preach and be a pastor, he didn't call me to the ministry, he called me out of the ministry. Because I went from being a member of a, of a church carrying out the ministry to now a, a, a minister or a pastor that is equipping others to carry out the ministry. But why would he do that? Paul says, the reason that we, the pastors equip us for the work of the ministry is for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? Here's why. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined together with every joint which is equipped, which each part is working perfectly and making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's a process. It's an absolute process. And what happens is believers in Jesus, disciples of Jesus, are in a continual, never-ending pattern of growth, okay? So repeat after me, Zion Church. Ready, I I am a disciple. Of Jesus Christ. And I am a work in progress. That's all of us. I don't care if you got saved this morning or if you've been following Jesus for 50 years, you are a work in progress. Commit to it. So that's one of the marks of a biblical disciple it is growth, it is growth. It's growing together in Christ Jesus. Number two, there's growth explained, but secondly, can I show you growth exhibited? What does it look like when someone is growing? And Peter mentions two key areas in which disciples of Jesus must experience growth. The first is in the area of grace, and the second is in the area of knowledge, and both are rooted in the same person. They're rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. In describing Jesus, the apostle John in verse 14 of John chapter 1 says this, and the word became flesh. That's Jesus became flesh. And what did he do? He dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father. And here's how he's described, full of grace and truth. So what are we growing into? We're growing into Jesus. We're growing up into Christ Jesus, meaning with each passing moment of being the disciple of Jesus, we become more and more and more like Jesus Christ himself. Nobody exemplifies this more than Peter. I love the apostle Peter. I did a a biographical study on the apostles a few years ago, and my my absolute favorite disciple is is Peter because I can relate to him. Peter was the kind of guy that they say that the only time he opened his mouth was to take one foot out and put another foot in. That's Peter. He just always had something to say, and it was usually the wrong thing to say. I'll give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. Peter was the guy that um, that when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet in John chapter 13, he wouldn't let Jesus do it. It's a really amazing moment. Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples. He comes to Peter and says, no, Peter's no, Lord. I cannot let you wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, Peter, if you don't let me wash you, you've got no part with me. And then Peter goes, okay, why don't you just give me a bath? Head, hair, face, let's just jump in the tub and we'll take care of everything. No, Peter, no. Oh Peter, it's just your feet. <laughs> and Peter was the one always jumping in out of turn and continually putting his foot in his mouth. I remember in Matthew chapter sixteen, Jesus asked the disciples, "You know, who who do, who do you say that I am?" And Peter spoke up. He said, "Hey, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the Living God." And Jesus affirmed that. Yeah, Peter, you're right. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven that's who's revealed this to you. And Peter's feeling pretty good about himself. But a little bit later in that same chapter. Jesus is telling his disciples, you know, I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. I'm, I'm, going to be, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And then three days later, rise again. Peter pulls Jesus aside and, and says, basically, um, stop saying that. You're freaking everybody out. In fact, the Bible uses the term that Peter rebuked Jesus. How's that work? The Son of God, God incarnate, there in the beginning with the Word was the Word, and is in the beginning with God. That guy, Peter, decides, yeah, he needs to he needs to knock that off. Talking about all this dying and all that kind of thing, and basically pulls Jesus aside and said, "Look, I think I know what you mean. You're speaking maybe metaphorically, Jesus, but the bottom line is this: you're scaring the fellas, and you got to knock it off, okay." They're freaking out, they don't know what you mean, so hey, could you tone it down a little bit with this whole, you're gonna be arrested and crucified. Let's, Let's knock that off, and what does Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus reserved his strongest words of encouragement for Peter, but he also reserved his strongest words of rebuke for Peter. That was Peter, constantly, constantly, constantly trying to nail it, trying to do it right, but in fact, he fell short. You remember in the, in the upper room, Jesus tells his disciples that all of you will fall away because of me. And what happens then? Well, he, he finds out that, uh, that Peter's declaring, I'm not gonna do that. All these other guys, they may fall away because of me, but I won't fall away. I'm gonna stay true. I'm gonna stay in. I'm gonna stay committed. You, can, you can't count on these guys. But you can count on me. And Peter received from Jesus this word. No, 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 before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're gonna deny you even know me three times. Peter was bold, I will die with you. There's no way that happens. I will not deny you. And of course, we know what happened. Before the rooster crowed the next morning, Peter had denied him three times. See, that was Peter, young, impulsive, energetic, very high potential in God's kingdom, but yet very, very mistake-oriented. But we get a different picture of Peter as the narrative of Scripture continues on. The Gospels present one type of person in, Peter, in Simon Peter. The book of Acts and the epistles and church history present a, n- a different look at the apostle Peter. Again, he didn't go from being uh, a sinful to perfect. He didn't go from being uh, awful to great. He showed incredible growth. I'm thinking of the moment whenever the women came back from the tomb to say that Jesus had risen from the dead, and Peter uh, actually runs past John into the tomb because he wants to see with his own eyes, Jesus, Jesus is alive, eager to reconnect and eager to see Jesus once again. Not only that, we find that they're fishing on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus comes on the seashore, and as soon as Peter discovers it's Jesus on the shore, what does the Bible say? It says, take off his cloak, and he jumped into the water and swam to Jesus. He wanted to get to Jesus, even though he knew how badly he had had blown it the night of Jesus's arrest. Church history tells us that Peter was the de facto leader of those early disciples, and church history tells us that Peter had to watch his wife be executed for her faith followed by he taking an execution upside down because he refused to die in the same way as his Savior. What you see in the life of Peter is you see a progress, you see growth, and you see an amazing work of God inside of him that is absolutely stunning. Jesus says, or it says about Jesus that he's full of grace and truth. Peter says that you and I, if we're gonna grow, the areas we have to grow in, we have to grow in grace and knowledge. Grace and knowledge. Those two have to go together, right? They have to go together. How many of us know people that have grown in knowledge but not grace? Anybody know someone like that? Anybody? I've been that guy myself sometimes. I learn a few things, I feel good about my knowledge, I feel good about what I've grown in, I've got a few things and I feel it's my job to inform the rest of the world just how smart I really am. Anybody ever been there? I have, you have, we've known that person. Unfortunately, what happens is that knowledge without grace turns you into a jerk. You know that, right? An absolute jerk. And I know because I've been the one on the receiving end as well as the giving end of that particular challenge. And it really is. To have knowledge without grace, to grow in, in knowledge but not to grow in grace leads to pride and leads to devastation. And let me tell you what it ultimately leads to, too, is that when you grow in knowledge without grace, you begin to see yourself as the epitome of knowledge and the epitome of, of, uh, of, of what it means to follow Jesus in truth, but you know the truth is deep within yourself, you need the grace of God just like everyone else does. And when you grow in knowledge but not grace you begin to think well maybe I don't need this grace maybe I am maybe I'm above that and then all of a sudden something happens and you fall and you fall on your face hard and the grace that you've never extended to others now you don't even extend to yourself and so growing in knowledge without grace many times is a road away from the Lord Jesus rather than following the Lord Jesus It's also a challenge to grow in grace without knowledge and that seems to be a cultural demand these days as well Let's just love everybody. Let, let's, just, let's just all hug together. Let's just, let's just all pat one another on the head and affirm every single thing that we see and do and never for a moment stop to think, is there such a thing as sin? Is there such a thing as repentance? Is there such a thing as, as turning from sin and placing faith and trust in Jesus? See, the simple fact of the matter is this, is that grace without, without knowledge is nothing more than sentimentality, whereas knowledge without grace is nothing more than harshness, and neither one of them are our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was the perfect embodiment of what? Grace and truth. And so as we're growing, what are we growing into? We're not growing into the most knowledgeable scholar we've ever could imagine. We're not growing into the most, uh, you know, the the most uh, loving, compassionate person who cares nothing for the truth. No, we're growing up into Jesus, which is the perfect, he is the perfect embodiment of grace and of truth. I really want to challenge you tonight to lean into growth, to lean into the reality that you have not arrived yet in your walk with Jesus. And to realize that God has something for you in the future that you are to grow up into and experience in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way for you to experience that is to surrender to this journey of growth. Embrace a lifelong journey with Jesus. But can I give you? Can I tell you something that's true that you already know is true, but I wanna remind you, this is hard. Isn't it, beloved? This is very difficult because we want to be the expert, right? We want to know some things. We want to be stable, right? We want to be we want to be the, the 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 consistent ones. We don't go up and down. We don't ride the roller coaster, right? We want to be we want to be stable. We want to project strength and stability. We we don't want to be the one that's always struggling, the one that's always growing, the always the one that's always stretching. We want to get to a place a place where we feel stable. We feel completely assured of ourselves and where we are. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen in the Christian life. It is a lifelong journey of growth and it is difficult. But could I encourage you with something tonight before I, I'm going to show you a little illustration that, that, I hope, that I hope makes the point for you? And then I'm going to step away and, and we're going to go back into music. God has given you what you need for this journey. It's not up to you to create enough self-will. It's not up to you to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's not, it's not up to you to, to somehow do this in your own in your own personal power. And if it were, you wouldn't fail just like I am failing. The only way this kind of growth can happen in your life and my life is if we understand what God has given us, what has he presented to us, what is God doing on the inside to allow us to experience this kind of growth. Earlier on in this letter of 2 Peter, he writes this. Listen to these words in chapter one and verse three. Peter says to these people, before he tells them, hey, grow in the grace and knowledge, notice what he says to them. He says, listen, beloved, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us into his Own glory and excellence. What you need to grow is not another book, it's not another podcast, it's not another preacher, it's not another leader. What you need to grow up into Christ Jesus, primarily above all things, is to really embrace and receive what it is that He has already placed in you for His glory and your good. God has given you an incredible gift called the Holy Spirit that is all you need to experience the flourishing of growth that he brings to you. And it resonates with the Spirit in others, and so we do it together collectively as a body. God's given you what you need. He's given you what you need. We spend so much time thinking, if I had this, then it would be easier. If I had that, then it would be accomplished. If I had those things, then then I'm telling you, I'd be set what you need to grow into Christ Jesus has already been given to you and it is God's Holy Spirit. You have him, he's yours. So when it comes to growth, as a mark of a disciple, trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, give me just a second. I got something back here I'm gonna bring out just to, just to help, help illustrate the point, okay? I'll be back, I promise, don't go anywhere. Stay right there, okay. When I walked in tonight, the, the team here looked at me so funny. They were like, you brought your own toilet paper? It's a Scott box, okay? It's not toilet paper, it's something else in here, okay? So what I have in this box is an illustration of what it looks like to grow, to authentically grow in grace and knowledge through Jesus Christ, okay? So I have a balloon, okay? And that's all it is. There's no rabbit in this balloon. I'm not gonna make it, you know, disappear, and also I got flowers. That's not, that's, not the, that's not this kind of show, amen? <laughs> what I've got here is a balloon, okay? Now, this balloon, I want it to fly. So in order to make this balloon fly, I gotta do something to make it fly. What do I gotta do? I gotta, I gotta hit it, right? I gotta, I gotta smack it. Where'd all those kids go? There were kids right here a minute ago. They all go to the back, they go to a kid's ministry. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta smack it. You see, to get, make it fly, you gotta, you gotta pop it up, right? But then after you pop it up, it comes back down, okay? This describes the way many of us grow in our spiritual life, okay? How do we grow? Somebody smacks us. <laughs> right? You come to church and Pastor Justin gets up here and preaches and he's like, boom, wow. And guess what? Read your Bible, wham, and guess what? You read your Bible the next day and the day after and the day after, but then by Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, maybe you're not because what? You're you're floating back to the ground. So what do you do? You come back to church to get smacked around again. Amen? Right? You listen to that podcast, that guy who was, who was on point, man, he's bringing the word and he's smacking you around. And what's happening is you're just, you're just getting smacked. I'm gonna grow, I'm gonna grow. And here's how I'm gonna grow. Someone's gonna smack me, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, something in your life goes wrong, right? You, you, you lose a job and all of a sudden, okay, that smacks you around, so you grow in faith. All right, God, I'm gonna trust you. I've lost this job, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust you with it. But then after a while, that, that smack kind of goes away and you begin to levitate back to the ground. Many of us live our Christian life like that, going from one smack to the next and hoping that the general trajectory of our life is somewhat up as we get smacked around again and again and again and again by preachers, by songs, by podcasts, by marriage conferences, by youth camps, by, by, uh, by uh, sermons, by, by, by going to the various things. Like we're looking, the, the stages of life, we just keep getting smacked around further and further and further. But even if we get smacked really good, and I'm talking, he pitches, preaches a great sermon, man, it's always coming back. Anyone feel like that? In your walk with Jesus, it feels like that? There's a different way, though, to make the balloon fly. It's a different way to make the balloon fly where you don't have to smack it. There's a different way to make the balloon fly where it actually isn't anything outside the balloon that makes it fly. There's another way to make a balloon fly that doesn't require smacking it all the time because it's got something on the inside. So you know what's inside this balloon? You know what it is. What's inside the balloon? Helium. If you sucked all the air out of this balloon, you'd talk really, really funny. You know, that's what helium does. It makes us talk funny, but it also makes balloons levitate. And in fact, on the outside, if I took scissors and cut this uh, string, the balloon would go even farther. I'm actually holding the balloon down because of what's happening on the outside of it. What's inside this balloon is healing, and what's inside of you is the Holy Spirit. You have everything you need to grow up into Christ Jesus. It's been given to you. And God has designed the church, the body of believers here at Zion and our church over at Salem Church to encourage one another and to encourage one another in the spirit of God. So we come together, it just further manifests the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us that's already there, and we encourage one another. We stir up our gifts toward one another. We challenge one another, we help one another. We come together, not to try to force one another to do things against our will, but instead to release ourselves from controlling the Holy Spirit that inside of us wants to exude what? The gifts of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, right? We have that, God's given it to us. It's a gift at your salvation that you get to experience daily. Day in and day out. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ, and you are a work in progress, but that work is being done from within through the power of God's Holy Spirit. Let me invite the band up to get ready to lead us in worship. I want to pray for you, my friends and brothers and sisters, but I also want to provide somewhat of an invitation. You see, if there's never been a time for you where you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus to save you, then you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside you. What happens when you get saved, when you turn from your sin and place your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence inside of you, and then it is his power and his authority that allows you to grow up day in and day out. So if there's never been that moment and opportunity for you to be saved, then I wanna encourage you to speak to your pastors here at Zion Church and let them help you take that step of trusting Jesus with your life and being saved. Believers, brothers and sisters in the Lord, let me encourage you for just a moment to stop getting yourself smacked around thinking that the answer to your spiritual immaturity is just another beating. Instead, dear friends, in prayer with the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit, fill me, manifest yourself through me, use me in the lives of those around me and let me a, be a walking, talking, breathing manifestation of your power, the life of Jesus to all those that know me. Help me to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And let me do it by your power and not mine because your power, Lord, is an endless supply. Let's pray together. Father, I love you and I thank you so much for this time. I've enjoyed my friends tonight. I thank you, God, for what you have done and continue to do in this amazing church. God, I pray in Jesus' name that what I've shared this evening, God would resonate with those in which it needs to. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd help us. You'd help us. You'd help us to surrender the power of your Holy Spirit and experience his work in and through us in this neighborhood, all across the city. There would be people or people of your spirit growing up into our salvation. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray, amen and Amen.